0: Hey, this is Joseph Macenery. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I wanna thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. All right, well, if you have a Bible, and I know you do because you either have a Bible or a smartphone or some type of a device, would you open it to the book of Haggai? The book of Haggai, it's back there in the back. It's hard to find. It's two chapters, and in most translations, it's only like two pages long. It's one of the books that takes place, it's, it's like 500 years before the birth of Christ Jesus. Haggai is one of the minor prophets. He's, he's one of the minor prophets. There are 12 minor prophets. The book of the Old Testament, if you look back there, it's Books like Joel and Amos and Obadiah and Jonah. And then there's five books that are called the, the major prophet books. And these are the, the books, the prophets that went to the big leagues. Sorry, shameless Atlanta Braves joke, right? Big league prophets, minor league prophets, no, dad joke. Dad joke alert, dad joke alert, watch out. But as we get into this, this, this book of, of, of Haggai you know these, these these minor prophets deal with issues. Could we call, say it like this? You know, when we watch the news, and, and we know we've seen some some news in our own city lately that's heartbreaking. Correct, right? The the minor prophets kind of read like the local news, right the the state the state level news. And when we talk about the major prophets, their impact is felt on a global level, a worldwide scale, the known world at the time. But both the, the minor prophets, the major prophets, all books of the Bible, and, and even in this series, we've been, if you've been with us enjoying this series called Unknown, and really what we've been talking about is 2 Timothy 3.16 when it reminds us that all scripture is useful, correct? All scripture is, we believe it's the inspired word of God given to us and so we've been looking for certain parts of the Bible that maybe we just happen to, to jump past every now and then. And so if you have a Bible, this might be a tough one to locate, but find the book of, of Haggai as we get into this message this morning. One of the themes that has keep, uh, has continued to pop up in this series, and it really wasn't even planned, Has have you noticed this common thread, this common theme of revival among God's people. Have you noticed that in this series? And it really wasn't even something that I've planned or I've really, really thought that far ahead about, but every scripture it just kind of keeps rising to the surface, God speaking this about a, a change that involves change from the inside out. Something starting on the inside of God's people and not necessarily changing. You know, we're really good at changing outward appearances, aren't we? Right, you can just go back, and it doesn't matter what era you're from, what generation you're a part of, what style is now current, right? But when we talk about revival, it, we're, we're not talking about changing our our outward actions, but we're talking about something that begins in the heart of God's people. Every morning, um, besides yesterday, does anybody here have an alarm clock in their room? Your iPhone, your does anybody have like an old school alarm clock that has buttons, right? Those, how do those work, right? How do you ever get those to work anymore? It's confusing. Um, does anybody use like Siri or Alexa? Any? Whoo, yeah, sure. There we go. Yeah, me too, right? Um, I have. We have those. We got them on Black Friday last year. Those little Alexa dots. They were really cheap. The little circle things. And it's really cute. Even my girls will set their own alarm uh, uh, for school and they'll say, Alexa, set alarm for 6.30 a.m. to You Don't Know You're Beautiful by One Direction. And they'll listen to, yeah, no, it's, it is interesting. Um, they love One Direction. I got to admit, I've, I've learned about their music recently and I know they're like a band from the past. They're pretty amazing. Like, they're pretty good. I, I missed that in 2010. That was like, I totally missed the boat on One Direction. But my kids, they set their alarms, and we will set ours, and I, I do it every day but but Saturday. Saturday, I make sure to tell them, like, don't come in our room until the sun is up, right? Any parents in the house, you know how that feels, right? It's like, yeah, one day, like, no alarms going off. Make sure you don't come in here until the sun rises, right? But... Every day, we, we set our alarms to get something done, right? We set our alarms to kind of uh, spark us to move, to get us to, to, to get out of our, our, our warm, cozy situation. Uh, you know, it always, to me, I don't care. It always feels like when that alarm clock goes off, is it just me or does it always feel like it goes off at an inconvenient time? Even though you know the time, you, I mean, you said it the night before, but it still feels like it's interrupting something. It's called my sleep, right? Yeah, you're interrupting my sleep. But, you know, alarm clocks have a way of stirring us to action, don't they? They, they have a way of stirring us to, to get the day going. And no matter how many times you hit the snooze button, I'm a, I'm a snooze button, anybody here hit the snooze button? That's a habit I read, I gotta break. I gotta stop hitting the snooze. I heard it's good for you to just not hit snooze and go 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 but you know it's often what's interesting no matter how much you delay how much you hit that snooze button it doesn't change the fact that you have something to do that day you can hit snooze all you want but it doesn't change the reality that you have somewhere to be at a certain time correct well God had alarm clocks in the Bible we're gonna talk about one of them today but in the Bible God's alarm clocks are called his prophets We're going to talk about the prophet Haggai, and the prophets would often be called upon by the Lord. They would often show up at, we could maybe say an inconvenient time or maybe an uncomfortable time for the people of Israel, but they'd often be called upon to wake people up spiritually, to alert them, to let them know God was wanting something done, that God was ready to do something, that God may, maybe even something, hey, they need to be aware that God is ready to lay the smack down on some type of situation, right? God sent these alarm clocks called his prophets. And sometimes we'd see the people of Israel respond in the right way, right away. They would move to action. Sometimes they would hit that spiritual snooze button and ignore what God was instructing them to do. But often God had a way of using prophets, these spiritual alarm clocks, he had a way of using these prophets to get the people to move into action, to get away from possibly their cozy situation or their habits that have taken them far away from the heart of God. And so many times he would send these prophets because it was a time and a place when he wanted to accomplish something new, not only in them, but with them. We're going to look at the book of Haggai today, chapter 1, and would you look at verse 2, if you will, with me. You got your Bible? You ready to go? Did we find Haggai? It's back there somewhere, right? All right, let's look for it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the people says, the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while his house, this house, lies desolate? Now, therefore, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. A little context is important to wrap our our minds around as we begin would you turn to someone and say context it's important to kind of know what's happened in this book of Haggai um, it, it takes place in what is known as the, the the Persian period of Jewish history the placement of the book back there in the Old Testament to me is an odd spot to place it because the the biblical books of Ezra Nehemiah um, Esther, Haggai, Zechariah, they all take place in this time period about 200 years apart called the, the Persian period of Jewish history. So even though they aren't laid out in this, this order, the book of Haggai, it's all the way back there. It actually, it kind of belongs up there around like the book of Esther, because it's really important to remember some of the players back in this situation. We did a study a while back, uh, on Esther. Anybody remember that Esther series? That was pretty good stuff, right? But we mentioned names like Xerxes and Artaxerxes, these Persian kings. There was a king named Darius, a king named uh, Cyrus. And all these Persian kings, they played an important role, not only in, in allowing the Jewish people to go back home to Jerusalem, but also this journey home meant fulfilling prophecy. This journey home that these foreign kings allowed them to take, it, it meant fulfilling these 70-year these 70 years of captivity, followed by a return home that fulfilled prophecy in the Old Testament, showing that God's favor still rested on His people, even when their hearts weren't necessarily close to Him. In the Old Testament, this, this verse it begins right away in verse 2, saying, you, have, you haven't been thinking about my house, you haven't been thinking about my temple, you haven't rebuilt. My temple. Well, in that culture, in that context, the temple of the Lord it meant so much more than just a building. It was the actual dwelling place for the for the Israelite people. The temple represented God's dwelling place. It was the physical representation of God. All the way back to King Solomon, if you remember, King Solomon during his reign, he built the most magnificent temple that had ever been built before by the Jewish people and, and often as, as decades went by and as years passed, the people, the Israelites, they, they, they got distracted, right? Their hearts became hardened, their, their hearts were, were far from the Lord and history records that the, the people were eventually conquered, that Saul, the temple was destroyed. And it leads us in this context to some of the heroes, some of the events that we hear about. Remember the names like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, right? Esther, Nehemiah, all of these heroes in the Old Testament. God used these people. He, he raised up these, these leaders, and he used a series of events, and he used these people to pull the hearts of God's people, it, to pull their hearts back to him in 538 B.C. there was about 50,000 people that traveled back to Jerusalem. The Persian kings allowed them to travel back to the capital of Judah and they were allowed to go back because it was time to rebuild their homeland. It was time to rebuild their way of life, it was time to rebuild their culture. Finally after five decades, here's what happens, five decades, that's a long time. After five decades they get to go back. They want to go back, they're excited to go back. And the first thing the Bible records is that they begin to construct, they begin to rebuild the temple of God because it represents his dwelling place. They built the foundation. The Bible records that in history they, they even built the altar. But then something happened and they stopped. Bible records it says they, they faced some opposition, some Samaritans came to oppose them, some people made fun of them, culture didn't accept them, they kind of spoke down to them, some dip, they hit some, they hit some opposition, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, you know what, this, this job, this whole building the temple thing just got hard, you know, if it's hard, I don't really know if God wants us to do this anymore, because it's hard, right? That's kind of, like, it must not be God's timing, because this just got difficult, right? I mean, we know we're supposed to do this, but this just got a little too difficult, and so that's the backstory, and so what happens, they meet a little bit of opposition, and so for 14, 15 years, they decide to just leave this construction project alone and move on with their lives. They decide that, you know what, we're we're gonna build up our own homes, we're gonna do, do our own thing, and we're going to leave God's house unattended. They actually started, the Bible says, to build very nice houses. It uses that term in some translations it says paneled houses, which is a, we'll get into this later, it's a term for fancier houses. But they got to a place where I, I think it's easy for us to walk in this fashion. Uh, number one, would you write this down? Are you a fan of God or are you a follower of God? Would you write that down in your notes this morning? Number one, are you a fan or a follower? I think culturally this is a very easy, uh, an easy habit for us to walk into, sometimes without even knowing it. So often we can know a lot about God. We can know him. We can know a lot about him. We can even know his word up here, but we can actually, we, we can actually know a lot about him while not really experiencing much of him. We can know a lot about him while not actually serving him in any tangible way. We just know a lot of things, right? I think culturally, even that's an idea that's really, really acceptable, right? And our in our culture, I think it's we're they're pretty, we're pretty good in our country about, you know, it's 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 okay to mention God. It's okay to talk about God in a very general sense as long as you don't cross over the line and mention the name Jesus, right? Culturally, like you can't you can't be that clear about your view. But if but if if you want to talk about God in a very general sense, in a very, very, very simple sense, I think culture is very understanding and, and really okay with that as long as you kind of keep it, as long as you kind of keep it very general. Well, let's look at this scripture a little bit more, and I want to point out a few things that I think we can learn from this today. Verse 2: this is what the Lord Almighty says. Would you read this with me? These people say, the time has not come yet to rebuild the Lord's house. Haggai, the spiritual alarm clock, shows up and identifies the problem in the people right away. And I even think there's a little bit of frustration in his tone. How many of us parents have kids in the house? Have you ever been frustrated with your kids? Never, right? Have you ever any any dads or moms in the house? Have you ever looked at your kid and said, "Man, that is that's your son," like you're a mo- right, <laughs> right? So you ever looked at your kids or you looked at your wife and said, "That that is your daughter," right? Like you had nothing to do with it. I wasn't there. I don't know who I don't know who the, who that kid belongs to. Couldn't be me. I've never sinned like that, right? I'm teasing, but um, it's interesting. This tone that Haggai uses, he he seems a bit frustrated. All throughout scripture, if we read, you know, even I love that scripture that says, you know, if my people who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves, if my people will turn from their wicked ways, and it says that I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land, right? All throughout the Old Testament, they're never referred to as those people or these people, at least very rarely. Usually it's, it's an intimate, it's like, these are my kids. These are my covenant people. And you can kind of see Haggai the prophet relaying this message on behalf of the Lord, saying, these people, like, you no longer represent me. I don't know who you are. And have we ever said that about our kids before? I don't know who that kid is, right? You must have got that from your dad, right? Wives, it's a good time. You can just throw an elbow at them right now. You're allowed to do it. But Haggai shows up, and he says, you've had 15 years to get this job done. He shows up on the spot as a spiritual alarm clock and says, "Eh, eh, eh." enough is enough. You've had 15 years to honor God. You've had 15 years to build his dwelling place. You want to know why you're not being blessed, Israel? What have you been doing for 15 years? You've just been focusing on yourselves. No wonder you aren't reaping much. Wake up is what Haggai says. He, he, he's there to stir them, to wake them from this spiritual slumber. Because Haggai identifies something that is so true, even though this was written thousands of years ago, right? Haggai identifies something that is so true for us today. And it is this. He reminds the people of Israel, you know what? You, you may be God's chosen covenant people, but your life will indicate whether or not you've really returned to him. You know that church? Same is true for us today. Our life will indicate whether or not we have really returned to God. And for these people in this culture, in this context, their negligence of God's house, their negligence of building the temple, of just letting the temple lie in ruin, it was an indicator light exposing something wrong on the inside of this spiritual engine. There's an indicator light that has gone off exposing a heart problem that is going on with the people. And Haggai is there to tell them, you may worship God all you want. You may talk about God all you want. But he's there to say, if your actions don't change, it doesn't matter. If your actions don't change, it doesn't matter. Number two, would you write this down? Returning to God means our priorities change. A return to God means our priorities change. We don't get to try to move God. We have to move ourselves. We don't get to reposition, right? We have to to reposition ourselves according to Him. This neglect of the temple is a huge problem. Let's read more about it in verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? He says, while this house remains a ruin. You see, Israel has deliberately neglected the house of the Lord. This paneled houses, right? It's a, it's a, term, for you, you've, it's a term for fancy. It's a term for you, you've made like you didn't, you're not just getting by, like you're, you're, you're loving this a little bit too much. These fancy houses, these elaborate houses houses. And you know what? Many times, if we're honest, we act a lot like the people in Haggai. We we know there's a problem. We know there's something going on. God, we want to see you fix the problem, but we don't necessarily want to address that, that spiritual indicator light that is going off, right? This temple being left in ruins is a big problem. What is going on in their heart? How many of us ever drive a car and, and it's it's really really tempting to ignore those lights on the dashboard Does anybody here ever do that sometimes some of us like have you ever and or some of us maybe we learned it the hard way like oh there's a light that went off and I don't know dad it meant something I think I said that to my dad one time there's a thing it was like a drip and 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 my dad said yeah that's the oil you gotta put oil in the car son right Oh, the engine went out I don't know why wow right but oftentimes we have these indicator lights in our cars that are they're telling us there's a problem inside right and you could go and and you could google how to turn off the oil change light you know you can actually turn it off without ever changing the oil right you could actually reset your your maintenance light without ever really addressing what's going on in the hood here's a question I have for us this morning and I want to just challenge us with what what is God speaking to you today as individuals as families I want to talk about this, this idea, what spiritual indicator life is, is going off on, on your, your heavenly dashboard, maybe, right? On your spiritual dashboard. Here's one. Can you answer this question for me today? And, and, and you don't need to turn in this paper. Um, we, we will. You can drop it in the Tide box and grade it. See, he has test anxiety, too. He's like, no, I'm not. going to grade my paper, right? But can you answer this question? When was the last time you canceled something for God. When was the last time you canceled something for time spent with God? Right? When was the last time you, 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 you were intentional with your schedule and you said, oh, you know what? I cannot move that because that is when I have this, this, and this. Whatever it is. For the Lord. Whether it's your devotional time, your study time, your coffee time, your church time, your Wednesday time. Right? If you Are you in a place? Are you in a season? Maybe you're a parent here and you find yourself with this challenge like you're moving everything else around <laughs> you're moving god around everything else right so many i remember that as a challenge as a kid right this this problem with priorities right i remember when we were kids we just we wouldn't do it and it was it was like baseball travel teams were starting and we played on a couple and i remember we just when, when my, myself and my older brother did it we we just told them we were like we will never play baseball on a sunday And how many of you know, like, culturally, that that battle, that went out the door, I think, like, right after that. Like, that was just, it's like, now it's like, it doesn't matter. People will do it whenever they want, right? If you find yourself moving God wherever he needs to be on your calendar, and if you find yourself putting everything, prioritizing everything above him, folks, that's a spiritual indicator life that's telling you something. Right? If we aren't careful, we're willing to cancel time spent with God for just about anything today. Right? If we aren't very careful, one of the things I love to do, I love to listen to it's it's a saddlebag, it's called drive time devotions, and I'll put my earpiece in and I'll listen to devotions from Pastor Tom Holland, and it's just a nice refreshing time for me to get some scripture in the morning and it reads it to me and I enjoy it. But if I'm not careful, it's really easy for me to just be like, Oh, you know what? Let me just put on Disney Disney Plus. My kids are in the car and I don't need to listen to this today. Like if I'm not really careful, we're willing to cancel our time with the Lord for just about anything, right? Church on Sunday? Nope i got I got brunch. I got I got nope. Church Church on Sunday? Nope. I got I got I got that. Oh the 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 Bears, the Raiders play. The Bear. Right. It's like we're willing to cancel our time with God for just about anything. It's interesting to me how much time spent with God, even in the church has become what almost feels like optional. Time spent with God feels like it's we're very optional about it, while other things, these, you know, birthday parties are different. While other things are prioritized, it seems like if we're not careful, our time spent with God has become very optional. And that's a, a bad thing in this culture and in this context and even in the book of Haggai, because we're going to see that God demands our first fruits. Number three, would you write that in? our God, guess what? He likes to be first. He likes to be the priority. He likes to be first. He demands our first fruits. Yet often we don't give God our first fruits, whether it's our time, whether it's our tithe, whether that's our energy, whether it's our focus, right? We all make time for that which matters most. Look what Haggai says in verse 5. Now what Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. And watch out because there's some key words that he repeats here. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. Can we think about that? Just kind of a moment of awkward silence in God's house today. I love that verse, verse 6. Give careful thought to your ways. To what you do, to how you speak. Verse 6, you have planted much. He's like, my people, would you figure this out? Would you figure out how to put me first? Because look at, look at the results. You have planted much, but you haven't harvested very much. He says, you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to see them in a purse, with holes in it. And he repeats in verse 7. Watch out when the Lord starts repeating himself. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and I might be honored. To sum it up, these four verses are interesting to me. And there's a lot, we could break it down, and maybe we were sitting down like individually, we could continue to talk about this verse. But one thing that stands out to me in a huge way in this verse, to sum up those four verses, it would be asking this question, is God first? Is God first? You know, because we truly make time for what matters most. We say this all the time, and you've probably either been here and heard us say this, or any church or online and heard us say this. But if you show me where you spend your time, where you spend your energy, where you spend your resources, what your calendar looks like, what your checking account looks like, probably within 20 to 30 minutes of looking at all of those items, we could understand what is most important in our lives. Right? When we look at our priorities, our time, our calendar, our money, we can right away, we could see, we would see what is most important to you. The challenge that Haggai is asking the people of of Israel, he is saying, man, you're building your paneled houses and you haven't even taken, you've left mine desolate. Are you placing your comfort ahead of your calling? You're leaving God's house. You're putting your house before God's house. You're putting your things before God's things. You're consumed with yourself, and you're not consumed with your God. Colossians 1.18, it says this, Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning of all things. He is the first to be raised from the dead. And look at this at the end of verse 18. Somebody say it with me. He is to have what place? Let's say it. So he is to have first place... In everything. That's the words of Paul. He is to have first place in everything. He wants to be our first love. He wants the best. He doesn't want what's left. Um, I know Thanksgiving's coming up, and this is not a popular idea, but I'm just going to say it like this, and um, maybe God agrees with me, not in a sense of Thanksgiving, but when it comes to leftovers. I do not like leftovers anybody with me on that it's not as like it's not good everything's dried up you got to microwave it it's like watered down it's just it's like a, a cheap imitation right is anybody I'm just not a fan of leftovers in a sense of when it comes to food I just like it like the day of or how we prepared it or how it was meant to be to be made whatever it is but think about this in a spiritual sense I believe our God wants what is best, not what is left, right? I think God wants, he wants, it says, that scripture said it there, he wants to be first place in everything. God wants first place in our life. He, he, he wants something new. He wants a church that's revitalized. But in order for him to do that, he's got to send that Haggai-like alarm clock to wake people up from our, our, our sense of, of being a little cozy, in our spiritual beds right so he can accomplish something great not only in us but you know what's so interesting about our God he could do it without us but he wants to accomplish something with us I mean that amazing about our God that he wants to partner with us when we we there's so many things we don't have together yet he wants to partner and do it with us but it starts with a simple step of this word is very difficult It's this word it's obedience for God to do something amazing through you and in you and in us, it starts with one very simple step of obedience. Look at how easy these directions are for building the temple. I am the worst handyman on the earth. If I need to hang a picture, I promise you there will be four holes in the wall. Like you could go to our house and look behind them, Those, the, the pictures are just hiding holes, right? But I think I could even accomplish the directions given here in verse 8. This obedience that God is looking for, it's not the most difficult. It's just he's looking for us to take that first step. Look what he says. Go up to the mountains. I think I could do that. Go up to the mountains. Bring down timber. Chop up some wood. That's the directions here. I want you to rebuild my house. So go up the mountains. Bring down timber. And he says this. Build my house, so that I may take pleasure in it, and I might be honored. You know, sometimes I think, man, we're not qualified enough. I don't know enough. Oh, really? He says, go up the mountain, (laughs) chop down the tree, and build my house. Really, what he's saying is, take a simple step of obedience. I will help you figure the rest of it out, right? Right? He didn't didn't give them the whole directions on the temple, what it needed to look like, how beautiful it needed to be. Go up the mountains and do something. Go up the mountains, chop down a tree, bring down the wood. Go up the mountains, chop down a tree, bring down the timber, build my house. It's not that difficult, right? But the, the reality is I think the people forgot is we never will see or understand the blessings until we put ourselves out there and take that first step of obedience. And sometimes that first step of obedience is a scary thing, but that simple step of obedience leads to massive blessings. If you talk to, man, anybody remember Pastor Jim Thompson or the Wyatts who, they've invested so much into Africa. Anybody ever, we know them still, right? Yeah, some of us. You think of someone like Pastor Greg who served the Lord in our city for like 40-something years, right? Many, many years. Many, many, many years. No, I'm kidding. But you think about it simple steps of obedience I remember being a kid pulling up to this like corner and it was just a dirt lot it was just dirt but we don't know God's blessing on the other side of obedience right but we one thing that's clear in scripture we've got to take that first step of simple obedience the outcome is God's job the obedience is my job does that make sense to us this morning how does that apply to you What area of your life, what simple small step can you take of obedience that you don't just just keep taking spiritual steps back, you don't keep ignoring the indicator light underneath the hood, but you just take one little small step, one little step of obedience. And then the blessings that come, the blessings on the other side of obedience, God's going to do it. God's gonna do it, and He's gonna do it in a way that we can't even understand it. The outcome is His responsibility. The obedience is ours. So, what unfinished business do you have? I wanna, as we pray in just a moment, we have one more point, but I just wanna kinda just really hammer that home today. Don't wait for God to raise up a Haggai in your life to annoy you with the alarm clock. Don't wait for that Haggai, that spiritual alarm clock, to come and bust your chops. Go up the mountain, chop down the timber, build my house. That's how simple the directions are. Go up the mountain, chop down the trees, build my house. It's amazing to me that they did not see their need for change. It's amazing to me that they kept continuing in their ways when you break down all that was They are putting their hands to, but they just weren't being blessed. Have you ever felt like that sometimes where God, like, I am working harder than I've ever worked before, but, like, where's the blessing? Maybe it's not about the hard work. It's about the priorities. Maybe it's about who we honor with that hard work. Number four, God allows us to continue our ways until the need for change is so obvious. Right? When you break this down, what they're walking through, let's read the rest of this scripture. Verse 9, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be a little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because my house, which remains in ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Verse 10, therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld the dew and the earth its crops. 11, I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains on the grain. The new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. I've called on a drought for everything you possess. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure you people understand is what he tells them. Haggai says, Do you finally see that you need to change? Do my people like, do my, do my people finally see? That God God can begin to do something new and use them in new ways, but he's saying, you've got to put me first. All throughout the history of Christianity, we have moments where God is ready and waiting to do something new. He's ready to manifest his presence and reveal himself in a new way, right? But all God's people got to do is continue to just put him first, to take that simple step of obedience. Sometimes God... I think just allows things to happen sadly I think he even allows chaos to break loose because sometimes we need that reminder of who is in charge sometimes like we we have so many cool things that distract us and technology that takes our attention away from the Lord sometimes I think God wants us to see in a tangible manner that he is still God that he can still stop everything. He can stop our day. He can stop our world. He can shake things up. But he, he is going to shake things up for us until we recognize that he is the top priority. He, right? You look at what he did. He, like Everything, their oil, their crops, their cows, their everything, their commerce, everything was affected until they realized we need to build his house. We need to build His kingdom because nothing on earth is above or beyond the reach of our God. Somebody say amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. God, we come to you today. And Heavenly Father, it is good to be in your house. And God, it is good to come and to worship you. But Lord, we just come with a heart and a desire. God, I pray you you make it our desire today to make one little change. God, to take one little step of obedience towards you because we don't know the blessings that await us on that um on that other side of obedience so God we take a moment and I just want you to maybe even this morning to reflect on what God has called you to be about I want you to take a moment and this isn't a question for your your wife or your husband this is a question for you is there something God has called you to do Um, Is there something you're supposed to do? Is there someone you're supposed to reach out to? Is there something you're supposed to give? Is there some type of unfinished assignment in your life? Is there something to rebuild? Is there some area to put God first in? You don't have to have the whole map. You don't have to have the whole idea. But, But God will bless your obedience. We do know that. It's very difficult to take steps of obedience when we don't have the whole painting the whole picture in front of us and it's difficult to address the problem sometimes god forgive us we don't want to just address that indicator light all the time but god is looking for obedience you don't have to have the whole career plan figured out if you're a young person here today watch it online you don't have to have what college picked out You don't have to have the four-year plan and the master's plan. You don't have to have it all figured out, but you need to take a simple step of obedience today. And when you do that, God wants to move in a powerful way because you have put him first. So as we continue to pray, maybe you're here, maybe you're online. I believe God wants to do something powerful in your life, but it takes obedience. Maybe you're here this morning, and and I even want to put it this way. Maybe you're here, and that, that step is taking a step towards Jesus. Maybe you've never really trusted in Jesus. Maybe you've been in the vicinity of Jesus. Maybe you've been a fan of Jesus, but you realize you really haven't actually maybe been a follower of Jesus. You've been following many, many other things. Or maybe you grew up in church and just haven't been in a while, but I want to tell you this. God has something so amazing for you today. He has a son his name is Jesus. We, we, we say he, his son went to the cross for you. He went to the cross for any of you watching online. It doesn't matter how terrible you've been, who you, what, what you've been. It doesn't matter how dirty you feel, but the Bible says when you call upon the name of Jesus, when you acknowledge the name of Jesus, that he forgives you, he accepts, he accepts you. And the Bible says he creates a new you. But he wants to be first. He wants his son to be first. And the time is right now to make that decision. It's a moment to say yes. If that's you, if you would want to just say, you know what, I I need to recognize him. I need to call on him. I need to acknowledge him. I need to come back to him. If you fit into any of those steps, I want you to take that step of obedience right now by just either making eye contact with me or just lifting your hand really, really quick. But if you want to say yes to Jesus, would you just lift your hand or lift your eyes? I'm going to just count to three. One, two, and three. And just go ahead. Would you lift your hand? I see you over there. Anybody? I see a young one over there. I see a young one over there. I see you in the back. I see a hand over here. I see a young one right here. Amen. I see those hands. If you lifted your hand or if you lifted your eyes and I missed you, would you pray this with me today? Father, I give you my life. Jesus, be my Savior. And Jesus, forgive me. I acknowledge you. I make a step of obedience towards you. And I believe in you. Would you make me new? Would you say this, church? Let's all say this. Lord, fill me with your spirit so that I can serve you. I can live my life for you. Somebody say amen. 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 Is that exciting stuff or, or what are we doing here, right? This morning we're going to come before the table of the Lord and as we get ready to dismiss, I'd like you to take the cup. Jesus sat, you know, he didn't, he didn't tell us and instruct us to do a whole bunch of things. We know he said that we need to love each other. We know he said, you need to obey my commands, but really one of the biggest things Jesus said, you need to be baptized and you need to remember, and you need to remember him through communion. Does anybody need a communion cup? I see you there, Lisa. Would you would you throw your hand in the air if you need the, the very fresh tasting cracker and juice cup combination? Yeah. Throw your hands up. Leave them up. We want to make sure everybody has time. But the night Jesus was betrayed, would you take it? He took bread and... As he was sitting there with Peter, as he was sitting there with his disciples, some of which, no doubt, he was very proud of, and others, no doubt, he knew the way. I think Jesus, as he did communion, he knew how Peter would fall short. He knew what was going to happen to him. And I find it amazing the grace of Jesus on full display right there with those who were going to fail him just hours later. He took the bread. He gave it to them. He broke it. And he said, remember this. This is my body, which is broken for you. He said, take and eat and do this. And when you do it, remember me. Can we do that, church? And then he took the cup. It was the cup of the new covenant. If you know, even... As they would participate in Passover, he, he turned the cup over. It's one way of just saying, it's me. I'm the one you've been waiting for. But he said, this is my blood that has been sacrificed, that has been given. And I want you to even think about this. And I don't want anything to overshadow the table of the Lord and the importance of communion. But in our country, in our culture where we live, when you think about those people on Thursday. You know, the reminder for us as Christians is we would never have freedom without the shedding of the blood of Christ. We would never have forgiveness without the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus. You know, one of the greatest things about growing up in the greatest country in the history of the world is we would never have freedom without the sacrifice of all of those that have served us. Amen and you, you may you may have been a veteran we had some in first service and in second maybe you weren't wounded on the battlefield or something but you knew someone who was you, you knew someone who lost their life you you knew someone who was away and away from their family away sacrificing and so as we get into veterans day this week can we just as we take communion i'm just so reminded that we have freedom because of sacrifice We have forgiveness because of sacrifice. Without the blood of Jesus, there is no forgiveness, right? Without Jesus' death on that cross, there is no empty tomb. There is no stone that would ever be rolled away. There is no resurrection. So let's take and let's drink. And as we do this, can we do it this morning as we dismiss in remembrance of him? Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we get ready to dismiss this morning as we go? It is First Fruit Sunday. That's the first Sunday of every month. And if you just take a moment before, I want you to get loud, start talking, have fun. But would you look over your left shoulder? We have our food pantry boxes. What a wonderful way to reach out to someone is by taking them a box of non-perishables. This doesn't have to be a box for you. You might be doing, you're, you're doing rolling fat on groceries. You're good. But you know what? I guarantee you, you could throw a box in your car. God will give you that appointment of someone to connect with and say, you know what? G- God loves you. Here is a box. I guarantee you, we know someone that you could drop this off to their front door. Someone you run into at a gas station. And so I want to just ask church, they've got about 15 boxes over there. And I'm, I'm just being protective of our elders. I don't want them to have to move them back behind the curtains. So can we take them? If they're making it so easy for us to serve. Can we take the boxes this morning? and take them to someone in our community and say, hey, Jesus loves you, Cornerstone loves you. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon, church. Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, You can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with friends, share it with family, help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.